0: I suppose that you've heard this one before. There we go. Pilot error, I had it in the wrong position. You reap what you sow. If I had a nickel, for every time I heard that right before I was whipped, (laughs) I'd have enough to retire. So would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians 6 and we're looking at verses 7 through 10. The study of astrophysics is fascinating. I'm not an astrophysicist but I can read enough to know when I get confused and then stop right there. But there are things that you can learn. One of the things through the years that uh, in studying Christian apologetics, for example, and one of the one of the, the, the one of the tasks of a Christian apologist is to, because unbelievers don't believe the Bible. You start with proving the existence of God, which is really a rather simple thing to do, and then get an unbeliever to agree with you that there has to be a God, the God. And in that approach in Christian apologetics, you appeal to science, for example. And what becomes evident is that there are irrevocable laws of physics and chemistry. Laws of science that are in place that, that cannot be altered. They are unalterable. These laws have, have, through study, have revealed and through research, have made us to understand that in the macrocosm of things in the universe, these laws teach us that measurements and speeds, uh, velocities, whatever, are exact. Some of these laws teach us that we cannot vary In those laws in any way, the the, the speed of things or, or the weight of certain elements or, or the way they're combined within the universe, because if they were in the slightest way altered or became imbalanced, then the whole universe would just explode. It would fall into chaos and then it would explode itself. So there are laws in the universe that, that simply cannot be violated. They're there. And there's no way around them. If, if you violate even the slightest parts of some of those laws, then you've lost cosmos and you've turned everything into chaos and then finally into ruin and destruction. It's the same way in the microcosm, elements, the the table of elements. You know, there are only so many elements, and then there are ways that some of these can combine with others and and make certain things. Water is 2 H2O. There, there are certain laws of chemistry that just are never changed. They cannot change. The result of those laws is like, for example, water. Two parts of hydrogen and one part of oxygen. When by the divine ability and grace of God are put together, we have water. So many other ways to study these laws of chemistry. Laws of science. It's it's inescapable. These laws are not random they are established and they cannot be altered. If, if somehow they were ever altered again, even in the microcosm, we would no longer have a cosmos. We would have chaos and destruction. Now, just as surely as there are physical laws that are established and if in some way any of those particular laws are broken, there are consequences that are just terrible. It also applies that spiritual laws have been established. And if you violate these spiritual laws, there will be consequences. One of those laws that God has established is found here in Galatians chapter 6. You reap what you sow. So let's look at this passage of scripture. And we're going to think about a few things here as we look at these slides. Galatians 6, beginning of verse 7. Do not be Misled. Now, the whole of Paul's letter to the Galatians is dealing with the serious error of trying to apply a false gospel within the church, namely, a gospel that requires works from us before salvation from Christ can be applied works from us if salvation from christ is to continue well it's a terrible thing you must submit to this before you can enjoy the benefits of salvation in christ you must continue in this if you are to continue in the benefits of the salvation that christ brings well that's a false gospel Paul writes to the Galatians and teaches them that there is only one gospel. He's not teaching them, he's reminding them because he was there when this early group of Christians were saved. Now, the Judaizers, to remind you, have come in and they're teaching that you can't just be saved by grace. There are things you have to do and things you have to continue to do. You have to to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Now that was the teaching. And of course, Paul is is, uh, vehemently rejecting this false gospel. And we've followed that for all of this time so that it's brought us here in chapter six and verse seven. So he reminds the Galatians, do not be misled your translation may say deceived. Wherein is the deception that he speaks of? Well, it's the deception that you have to work in the flesh as a Christian to be a Christian. When the truth is, a true Christian is led by The Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God is in us, and we're following a spiritual path, not a fleshly path. To think that I had to do something, whether within the law of Moses or outside the law of Moses, some some policy I had to follow or behavior that I I had to uh, perform, to think that that was essential to my salvation... Is for me to be deceived. Is for me to be misled. Now Paul is coming in for a landing here in Galatians. uh, And we're, we're well into the last chapter. So number one. Don't be misled. We have a simple weapon. That protects us. From deception. And that weapon is the Word of God. We are so blessed in these last days, especially since the time of the last apostle, we are so blessed to have the completed canon of Scripture. God's people didn't have that for thousands of years they had part of God's word as it was being given to man line upon line precept upon precept and each of those generations had what God intended for them to have at their point in time but now Christ has come that which is perfect has been has been completed and that's the word of God Christ reminds us at the close of the revelation do not add to this book. This closes the canon of Scripture. And so we have in the present age in our case I believe in the latter days of the age we have the completed text of Scripture. And our generation is so blessed in that we have, we have material and And we have tools online where we and they're all user friendly, and we can study the Bible the Bible more deeply than any generation that I can think of can study the Bible. We don't have to be confused about certain passages of Scripture if we understand using these tools how to properly study the Bible. So we're, we're blessed beyond measure. And the easiest thing for me to say about Christians with, with regard to uh, being misled is we don't have to be because our teacher is the Holy Spirit and our textbook is the Word of God, the perfect Word of God. If the Spirit of God convicted us, the power of God called us, and the Spirit of God has sealed us to the day of redemption and salvation and is given to us as a pledge and we've been born again and now we're, we're living in a life that ha- with a regenerated spirit, then, then we have the ability and the power God-given with the presence of the Holy Spirit to properly study and understand the Scriptures. Now, it takes a while. You don't start out looking at certain Passages of Scripture and completely understanding them, but I'll tell you this. Through time, the Holy Spirit of God will grow us in the Word. Our job is to read and study the Bible faithfully and in the best way we can see to it that it is applied to our lives. If this is what the Word of God says, I've, I've never really thought about this before, or Or this is going to really put me at odds with some of my friends or family. But if this is what the Word of God says, I have to follow and be obedient to the Word of God. So we grow as Christians. If we are serious students of the Word of God, then it would be very difficult for us to be misled. Now, In the case of the Galatians, apparently these Judaizers were very powerful and persuasive men. It was their job back in the days of the Apostle Paul to follow him wherever he went so that they could bring in their Judaizing confusion to the church after Paul had left. I've spoken to this before, but there's one thing that Christ really bragged on with regard to the church at Ephesus in the Revelation chapter two. Christ said to the Ephesians, this is good, he said. You've been good in this regard. You have tested those who claim to be apostles, and you found them to be false. Christ commended them for that. To another another of the seven churches, he commends them for guarding The Greek word means to guard like a like a sentinel guards his post or whatever. It may be translated in some translations, keep the word of God, but it means that you've kept it to the point that you fiercely, you fiercely guarded it. You're not going to let anybody attack the word of God. You're not going to let it affect you in your Christianity. You are going to you are going to stand against whatever comes against the Word of God. So he commends them for that too. The point here is the importance of a Christian being a lifelong student of the Word of God. Do you know what we were called in, in the earliest days? And really, nobody has ever said we could remove that designation or that tag. Disciples. A disciple is a learner. Nobody has ever said, you won't find it in any place in the scriptures where we're no longer considered disciples. We continue to grow in the Word of God. It strengthens us spiritually, it strengthens us against error, against falsehood, against deception, against worldliness. We grow in the way that Christ te- teaches us to grow, the Holy Spirit teaches us to grow. And thus, it's very difficult to deceive or mislead a true, seasoned disciple of Christ. So, Paul says to the Galatians do not be dis- uh, deceived or misled. Number two. God is not mocked. Look, you don't spit in the wind, you don't pick a fight with Superman, and you do not mock God. And the third of those is by far the worst. God is not mocked. Do you know we live in an age even even in recent weeks there is wholesale Mockery of God. From the highest offices to the lowest levels, from the halls of legislation and legislators to the streets of riot torn cities, God is being mocked. Here's what happens for whatever a man might sow, that also he will reap. They are sowing to the wind destruction, they will reap the whirlwind. And so in my prayer life every day and in reflecting upon, and I don't take just one source of news. I look at, we're, again, we're blessed in the sense that we can Get news from around the world and from different perspectives and, and so forth. And, and we can begin to see the general, you know, somewhere in the middle is probably some of the truth. And one begins to see what, for example, is happening in our nation. And people have been too silent too long And so what begins in my lifetime with uh, the rejection of prayer in school, and then it just moves from there to where a person can invent behaviors or personalities, and those who disagree with that are the evil ones. The Bible teaches that there is great danger when a society makes good evil and evil good. So we're on the brink of destruction in our nation, for example. Why? Because God has been mocked. For whatever a man might sow, that also he will reap. So that's true at every level of culture and society. But we're going to focus on life within the church. The most immediate circumstance at hand is whether or not those who are in the church are going to depend on themselves in some measure for their salvation. Or they're completely collapsed into the presence of an almighty and sovereign God who has has given his spirit to us. And in faith, we walk. We are fed by his word. Our hand is in his hand. And we walk the path faithfully. Now, Satan will put a stumbling block and dig a pit along the way. But though we may stumble, we don't stay there because we didn't depend on ourselves when we were saved and we don't depend on ourselves maintaining salvation. This is all of God. It's God's responsibility. That's why he sent his only son. Why would he send his only son to suffer a horrible death to do just part of the work? That makes no sense at all. So we are totally dependent upon God for our salvation. Absolutely dependent. Now here's what comes out of that. What comes out of that if, well, let me me stay with the text here. For the one sowing to his flesh will reap decay from the flesh. I'm going to insert an observation here from more than 40 years of being a pastor. From time to time, I have had within my memberships through the years for the churches, I think besides this one, I've had these strong-willed people who made unreasonable demands on other people, they didn't like the way somebody dressed. We used to call them legalists or whatever. Pharisaical. They didn't like the way somebody looked. They didn't like the. They didn't like. They didn't like their swimming suits, or you know, I mean, just. And my question was always, why are you looking at their swimming suits? You know. That tells you something. And I have I disc- on on two occasions. I can't apply this to all of them. And one of them was actually a preacher. They were discovered. These two particular people, over a period of many years, they were discovered. Having dark, sinful secrets, terrible things that they were performing in their lives. In the case of the preacher, um, it was it was sexual misdeeds and behavior, and they're the ones who who would impose these self-defined rules of morality and behavior on other people. And when I read Galatians, I realize that they were sowing to the flesh. Oh, that person can't be a Christian to dress like that. Oh, that person can't be a Christian to do this or do that. So you have this person who deceives himself and he thinks that in requiring requiring these rules of whatever upon others by imposing them upon others he would be thought of himself as clean and pure whatever however he may define that until the decay of his flesh was exposed now, I think this is what Paul is saying. The Judaizers have come in and they've told you, you have, to, you have to be this way, you have to do these things, and you have to submit to these behaviors and impositions and so forth. And you, you have to do the things that the flesh can do for your salvation. Now, that would not have affected so much this particular generation of Galatians, but if some of these Galatians gave themselves over to the imposition of deeds of the flesh, teaching them as part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the next generation would be completely immersed in the works of the flesh. And there is only one thing that can result from the works of the flesh if that's what you depend on, and that's decay. It's easy for Satan to manipulate the person who depends on his flesh to save him and keep him saved. Behavior, action, deeds, whatever. However, the one sowing to the spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, look at how it said, you cannot give yourself eternal life. The Spirit gives eternal life. If you sow to the flesh, you will from the flesh reap decay and ruin. But if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit, Will reap eternal life. Now, I want to go back to Galatians five. You remember this verse nineteen? Evident now are the works of the flesh: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, contentions, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So there would have been Galatian. Be- Believers, church members, who were beginning to buy into this Judaizing, and they became contentious, unloving, angry, divisive, because the thing they thought would save them has turned back on them and brought its ruin. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So those who are sowing to the flesh are obvious. Those who are sowing to the Spirit are obvious because The works of the flesh finally give birth to what the flesh is all about in the first place. The flesh is cursed. We are depraved. There is nothing good in us. Not a single thing. Unless and until we are regenerated, we're saved, we're born again. And then the spirit takes up residence in our lives and we have a new teacher We have life and not death. We have light and not darkness. And we depend completely upon the Lord every day, every minute. And not upon ourselves. A person gets into a lot of trouble. When in the spiritual matters of salvation. He depends upon himself in any way. In any way at all. Now. Finally. The fifth thing, we should not grow weary in well-doing. Now, what he just, he had just said the spirit reaps eternal life. So the next thought is well-doing. Now, the well-doing fruit of the spirit. Those who are working the flesh can do all kinds of bragging and so forth. You know, I've just never been a numbers guy. If all I did was brag on how many we baptized and how many we had in Sunday school, then it would sound like it was something that I did. Good heavens. (laughs) That's a work of the flesh, you see. And then when you begin, I'll tell you why, too, in 40 something years, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I have learned how to be both. How uh, to, uh, to be abased and how to abound, and whatsoever state I'm mean, in, therewith to be content. I've been there when the church was just exploding and we were leading in baptism. I've been there when we were losing them, too, and they were walking away. And here's the point if I took all the credit for the good times, I'd have to take credit for the bad times as well. It's all a thing of God, you see. It's all a thing of God. Now, even when God may be purging the local church or dealing with the church in certain ways where he wants to rearrange church memberships, there are some people who are needed at other churches. I've come to understand that. And, there, and then we have needs and God moves people in here where we have needs needs. And can fulfill the mission that we have as a local body of believers in this place where God has put us in our Jerusalem. I've come to understand that. Now, in those times where a pastor you on his face before God and "God, why are, they, why are they leaving?" I've I've taken a bath before every service and and work, work, I've worn clean clothes and, and I've just preached the Bible, you know. Well, it's because God is at work and he's up to something. Still the fruit of the spirit there in the congregation. Bless God. Never be fatigued. In well-doing. For in due time. Not giving up. We will reap a harvest. Pat is in the nursery. But she could stand up and give a testimony to, to the letters of resignation I have written over the years in frustration and anger. And here's what my daddy taught me he said, Don't ever make a life changing move until you've slept on it. He taught me that as the manager of our clothing business because it seemed to me that a certain person needed to be, needed to be fired. He said, you'll do what you want to do. I'll stand by you. But it's a life-changing decision, so sleep on it. Same way with growing weary and well-doing in due time, not giving up. I'd sleep on that resignation. And by the next morning, it was another world. It was new. Everything was okay. I went and kissed myself in the mirror and said, everything will be all right. never give up if you're doing the work and you're trying to walk the walk and you're trying to talk the talk if you do anything outside of those parameters you're getting into disobedience and into the flesh and the only thing that's going to result from that is decay so don't give up never be fatigued or grow weary in well doing There is a time coming. You see that? In due time. Not giving up. We will reap a harvest. Number six. So then. As we have. Occasion. Now I want you to look at this. All right. That word. Is a. a, a, Caron. Occasion. Caron. It's not Chronos. Chronos is time. It's hours and minutes. Karun is a season. It's an, it's an age. It's a season. And it doesn't say if the season comes for you. It says when it comes. As we have occasion, we should work good toward everybody, all especially now toward those of the household of faith. These actions that Christians pour forth, acts of love and mercy and kindness are to be directed first to the household of faith. To do all that we can for each other. And then after that, work good toward all. But especially, first and foremost, to those who are the household of faith. Paul is saying there are some people there who are in the church and they need some work. They need a lot of love. They need attention. They need teaching. They need watching. They need to be cared for. So especially working that good, understand the occasion has come. These guys are going to be tough to deal with, but don't grow weary because the time is coming if you don't give up, you'll reap the harvest. You reap what you sow. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And hear me say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. I'm saved because I'm a sinner. And everybody who was ever saved had to acknowledge being a sinner. According to the Bible, if if we admit that we are sinners, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ... As savior. And in confessing sin. We call on him to save us. Let me tell you. God is bound by his word to save us. God only plants that in your life. That he might call you to himself. On your way out. You'll see that there are two rooms. Just across the hall where deacons and their wives are ready to pray with you and to reveal to you from the Word of God the wonders of salvation. Now, after we're saved, we should be obedient to the Lord's command of baptism. Maybe you've been saved but never baptized. They will teach you according to the Word of God. The importance of baptism and we'll take care of that. Finally, it is right for people to belong together in a family. To be both stakeholders and stockholders in the faith together. Maybe you're seeking membership by the guidance of God in Shiloh. They are prepared to lead you into that as well and take care of all the details if that's what God wants in your life. So as we leave this place, understand that our invitation is given and that you would speak to our deacons and their wives on your way out in those rooms if that's how God would speak to your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at your word. We thank you for it. Oh, God. Teach us to be better Christians every day that we live. Fill us with your Spirit and pour forth your Spirit that you might bring forth divine fruit. Help us to understand that we're to walk in the way of Christ and it is Christ in us who does these things. So teach us to walk humbly and gratefully. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, we're especially mindful of those who are sick in our congregation. Those who are bereaved, have lost loved ones. We pray for them. We pray that your Holy Spirit will comfort them. We pray that the mighty power of the great physician will heal them as only you can do. And help us, oh God, to show others the way to Christ. Fill us with your love in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed.